2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 15. It says, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal the daughter of Saul looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Now, I just, wanna, I just wanted to read the last part. Because sometimes we just stop in the word and we just kind of enjoy that. And I want to, and we're going to enjoy that. But I just love that God gave him rest from everything. God did everything for David that David had asked him for, but it still wasn't enough. Because when David looked at his life, it felt like his life was more blessed, that his house was more blessed. And he was not content for the ark of God to be in a tent while he lived in a house of cedar. There was something about the heart of David that should be infectious to us where we see God and his kingdom and it elevates us out of our own selfishness and out of our own thoughts and it causes us to think his thoughts and think about him so that we want to advance what God is doing. David was not content to rest in his own success, but rather what was in his heart was that the Lord's house would be the highest house on the hill. All right, so now let's go to what was going on here. Um, we see this moment where David and all the people of Israel are bringing in the ark of the Lord. And there is a joy that was overwhelming to them. There was a worship and a praise that was infectious as the ark of God came into that city. The ark of God at this point had not been where he was worshipped. The ark of God had not been at this point where the capital of the nation was. There was a time when David was chosen to be king, and then he led the southern portion of Israel, 
And then the northern portion came to him and they said, we want you to be our king as well. And so he now was the king of all of Israel. And so he moved the, the capital of the nation from Hebron and he moved it up to more the central area of the nation into Jerusalem. But he wasn't content to just have his throne in the city. But he didn't want to be where the presence of God was not. Now keep in mind, his predecessor Saul had reigned for almost 40 years. He wasn't worried about where the presence of God was. He hadn't given consideration to where the ark of the Lord was. But when David stepped into that city that God had given him, he was not going to be there without the presence of God. And there should be something in this that just wakes up our desire to live, to literally live in the presence of God. And so this is where we see David. This is where we see what we see happening in the nation. And so now let's just kind of take this a little bit um, slowly, maybe. We see this first moment that we just kind of want to talk about is that when all the moment was over, David left the moment and he wanted to go home to bless his household. There is a blessing that is in the house of God that when we gather together and experience the fullness of all that he has for us in this moment, there then is the opportunity for us to take the blessing that is in God's house and bring it actually to our house. That his blessing not stay just here, but that we bring it to our place. There's a confession that we make around here as it is in this house. So it is in my house. These aren't just lofty, hopeful words. Rather, there is a promise that what God does, where he is, he will be with you and he will bless you. As he blesses his house, he will bless your house. And this was something that David was very familiar with. He was familiar with the blessing of God, the anointing actually showing up at his door. If we go back in his life story in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 10, we see the very moment where a prophet came to David's house. And when he got there, he anointed David. And there was a spiritual moment that happened not in the temple, happened not at the altar, but rather it happened in his house. The blessing of God should be in our homes. The presence of God should be in our homes. And so in that moment, the Lord said to the prophet, he said, rise, anoint David, for he is to be king. Then Saul took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And from that moment, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. From that day forward, the Spirit of God came upon David and he anointed David to lead the nation. Now, if I could just kind of noodle around in here for a minute, because sometimes you may not be like me, but maybe you're a little bit like me because I think I'm pretty normal. <laughs> I have a tendency to see something that someone did and then I think, okay, well, they did that, and it worked great for them, 
So now I'm going to do that and it'll work great for me. So I might just look at the activity of the prophet and the activity of the prophet was this. He anointed David and then David, whom he anointed, had the Spirit of the Lord rush upon him from that day forward. So I think I need to then anoint that which I desire for the Spirit of the Lord to come upon and be successful. So I will just seek out that which I want to happen, and I'll go through the process. I almost turn my faith into like a formula. It's like I check the boxes. I, I anointed this, I made this declaration, and I'm just going to watch it happen. And in the process, we missed the biggest point of this entire conversation, and that was God all by himself said, rise, anoint David. Samuel didn't make the decision for David. God made the decision. What Samuel did then was obedience to God. He stood up, he anointed him, he blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. We cannot expect to see the fruit of God's choice when we made the choice ourselves. What I'm saying is the process only works when we do the thing that God called us to do. If he doesn't make the decision, even though we do all the right things, this, all the right things that we do, will not lead to the reward or the promise if he didn't choose what would be anointed. Let's put it maybe in a, another conversation. You might be searching for a spouse, but that's not the one God chose for you. And you want to just step into an altar moment and you just want to have a few I do's and walk out and experience the fullness of the blessing of God because you anointed the moment. But what if that's not who he chose for you? Where, where did you find that spouse? Well. Or maybe you're looking to go into business and you're looking for a business partner and you just are looking for anything that will fit this particular box. And you check the box, and then in that moment, you anoint the relationship, and now God's just going to bless everything. But what does that person believe? Who have you yoked yourself together with? Do they have the blessing of God upon them? Like, do we ever wait for God's choice? Do we ever spend our time with Him and walk with Him? So that we know, just like Samuel knew, when the first choice came in, no. When the second choice came in, no. When the third choice came in, no. When the fourth choice came in, no. Like, this went on until number eight. Do we ever wait? See, a lot of times, if there's anything that drives me crazy about Christianity, and, and especially marketed Christianity. So like the, the whole, the, the book and TV world. We like to start the story here where we're just, oh, you don't have any idea. I was broke and then I just gave God a seed and then look what he did. And then everybody sitting there broke just thinks, let me go give this guy a seed and watch me just grow. But I've had the unique opportunity of hassling these people in back rooms. And I'll name no names because they were private conversations. 
But I like to noodle around and say, just one gift? And everything turned around? Oh, no. Son, it was years. Years. Oh, yeah. How many years? Six years. Six years. Yeah. And were you tithing during those years? Oh, absolutely. I was faithful every week. Faithful every week for six years. But the blessing was just the $500 that you gave to the preacher? Or was it six years of faithfulness, of just being obedient and just following God? And then in a moment after you had a relationship with him and in a moment after you'd been faithful to him, God gave you something to anoint that he might bless it. Oh, that makes far more sense to me. Oh, that lines up with the gospel to me because that's what God's done for all of his people for the ages. But don't we think for just one minute that we can skip all the lifestyle of faithfulness and just do one act in one moment and say, God, you anoint this and it's just going to work out. No, God told Samuel, Samuel, rise and anoint David for it is he. And then... He stood up and took the horn of oil and anointed David. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him from that day forward. When we are obedient to the choice of God, when we're obedient, God responds to our obedience and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon the moment and will bless us for that which he has anointed us to do. But it begins with him. And so David had an understanding of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon his household. David had an understanding of what it meant for somebody to step into that house and just bless that house and the Spirit of the Lord come upon him from that day forward. He understood it. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 12. He said, whoever receives me, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Now what I love about this is there are, a la there are layers of rewards in this. There are these layers where he comes in. It's chapter 10 and verse 40, by the way. I said 12. It's verse 40. Um, there are layers of this where God comes in and he literally will bless you based on what it is that you're listening to. Like he said, if you receive somebody because they come in the name of Jesus, then they, if they receive the word, then they receive God who sent the word. There is a blessing. There's literally a blessing upon us when we receive the word of God. When someone brings the word of God to us and we receive that word, there is a blessing because of our receiving that, that word. But then he goes on and he talks about the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And this one's a little nuanced. Because Jesus first talks about the word and he talks about the father. Now, when he talks about the prophet, what does that mean? Peter tells us later that no one ever prophesies by their own will, but rather they speak 
when they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when he's talking about receiving a prophet because he is a prophet, he's talking about somebody who's not just preaching to you, but rather is someone who has discerned a manifest gift, a supernatural communication from the Spirit of God, and by the Spirit they have spoken that into your life. And there is literally a blessing upon you when you receive that word. That is a word that is not just preached to you via the gospel. It is a word that you receive supernaturally. Now, it's always in alignment with the gospel, but it is a supernatural word. It is a spiritual word. And this is where sometimes I get a little cranky. Because these are the hardest words for me to receive. Because I have to trust that someone is a prophet or speaks prophetically in order to receive that word. It forces in me to get outside of my skepticism and to get outside of my cynicism, which is very natural. My baseline sarcasm, cynicism, speculation is high. It's high. Now, the word, I, I'm not skeptical of the word. You can preach the word to me and I will just sit there like a sponge. I will take notes. I will love the word. I will live by the word. But as soon as there's a prophetic word, it's... I don't know. Let me think on that. Let me let, me, let, me let that marinate a minute. And then five days later, I've forgotten about it and moved on. What happened? I didn't receive it. So there is not a prophet's reward. There's not the reward that was upon that word demonstrated in my life because I didn't receive it. When the word of God comes, whether through the gospel or supernaturally, there is a reward for receiving it. Then he goes on, he says, and if you receive a righteous person because they're a righteous person, you'll receive a righteous person's reward. This is what I love about the body of Christ because when we hang out with people of like faith, we sharpen, iron sharpens iron. There is truth that is to be received from people who serve the same Jesus that you serve. And just in relationship, there is godly counsel that can, we, we can be given. Parents, people who've already been there, already raised their kids, already done it the Jesus way, and they can speak into your life. And it might be a little different in 2023 than it was in 1983, but the same principles apply. And when they preach those principles, when they give you those principles, there is a righteous person's reward that you are to receive receive because you received it from a righteous person. So there are layers of blessing. And if you're one of these that all you ever do is your Bible study and what you get out of the Bible, there will be reward for you. But that'll be the only reward. You won't receive the reward that comes through a righteous person because of your relationship with God's people. There will not be the reward that will come to you because of your willingness to both test and receive prophecy that you might have the reward that comes supernaturally. Jesus said this in um, Matthew chapter 10 earlier in verse 12. He said, when you enter a house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if the house is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Like he's telling you to greet a house when you get there. There is something in you that when you step into a place, what is in you has the opportunity to come upon the place. You gals, you guys, you come home, everybody's always already there. Like how do how are you received when you walk in the door? 
Like, is everybody like, whoa, I'm so glad you're here. What is that? That is them receiving your peace. That is them receiving the value that you add to the moment. But have you ever walked in the middle of a conversation and you knew you weren't supposed to be there? Anybody ever, you know, people just hang around at work, talking around the corner, you turn like, hey, and they're like, ah. You ever had one of those moments? What is that? That is them not receiving your peace. They didn't invite you into the conversation so that the peace that is upon you could then be placed upon the moment. You have in you peace to give, but others have peace to give as well. Do you receive it? So we all know what it means. David understood what it meant, and he wanted to take that blessing, and he wanted to take it to his house. When Jesus was preaching in, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 5, it said, He came to the place. And he said to Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus had worked hard to get in that place. He'd gotten up early. He'd fought the crowd. He wasn't tall enough to see Jesus over the tall people in front of him. So he just kept working, found a tree, climbed up in a tree, waited for Jesus to come by. This is exactly how I feel on Sunday morning. I, wasn't, I didn't wake up at the altar. I don't know where you woke up, but I wasn't sleeping right here. I had to get up on a Sunday. I took my little, I was on a walk this morning and there's a guy, he was getting ready to go fishing. He wasn't getting ready to go meet with the Lord this morning. He wasn't preparing to go spend time in the presence of God. He was getting his cooler ready. He was getting all his stuff ready. I, I was getting ready to come into the house of the Lord. Because I believe when I come into the place, and when Jesus came to the place, he said to Zacchaeus, when I come to the place, I believe in this place, I will have an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus will say, I must go to your house today. I must come hang out with your family today. So every blessing that I receive in this house, I take with me when I go home. And this is what David understood. He understood the moment of being in the presence of God was a moment to be transformed. And then from that place of transformation, he would step into his household having something that he didn't have the day before because he'd received it in the presence of God. And he was gonna take what he received in the presence of God and he was gonna go give that to his house. Every single day, you should walk into your house with a blessing from your day and bless that house. Why? Because Jesus is with you. If he's with you, then his peace is upon you. If his peace is upon you, you have peace to put upon that place. When you walk in, if it's nuts, it should settle down. If there is chaos, hope just walked in through the door. And everything should be changed. So uh, it doesn't look like that for me. Well, sometimes you have to, you have to create change. He says, if the house is worthy... Let your peace come upon it. Sometimes you have to let your peace come upon that house. Bring things into order. Why? Because God wants your house to be blessed. God wants every household in this place to be blessed. So David understood. He had an understanding of that blessing. But it's interesting because um, his wife didn't recognize it. His wife did not receive the blessing that he came to that house. And here was what was um, tragic. The Bible 
connects her inability to have a child with her refusal to receive the blessing that her husband brought home. And we read stuff like this, and we sometimes think, well, you know, I mean, that was the Old Testament. Things don't really work like that anymore. Really? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 29. I just like to do this from time to time. I don't know if it's fun for me, harmful for you. I don't know, but I'll just, we just do it. He said, anyone who eats and drinks, he's talking about communion, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we would judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So here is a worship moment of eating and drinking. So we're participating in remembering the death of Jesus, the life that comes through the blood. And if we don't discern the body, in that moment they were actually mistreating each other. Uh, there was one group that would be eating a whole bunch and getting drunk, and the other broke group that had nothing to drink and nothing to eat, and this group would celebrate, and this group would mourn. And Paul says, I'm not celebrating that you come together, because when you come together, you don't even do it the right way. So then he goes on, and he says, because the way you're treating each other, because you don't discern the body, what is the body? The body of Christ is us. We are the body. Because you don't discern the body, because you don't treat the body right, some of you, many of you, are weak and ill, and some have died. So what he's saying is, when you don't receive all the way that you've been instructed to receive all, there is actually a punishment that happens. That's no different than what happened to Macau when she was not willing to receive the blessing that her husband brought home. Your spouse has a blessing. There, there should be a... Um, I don't want to go too all family in the moment because I know we have a lot of single people in the room. But, you know, there's a blessing that your spouse brings. And when we treat each other right, and when we receive the blessing that's upon their life, there's a blessing for us. But when we don't treat them right, there, there is something, there's a blessing that we will not walk in, like best case scenario. Worst case scenario is that there's judgment because our behavior is so vile. And her behavior was so vile that there was the inability to conceive because she would not receive the blessing of her husband. It's just a little warning for us that with all the blessing that is promised, let's understand there are, there are also consequences. All right, so why, though, was the moment so big? Why, where did he receive something in order to even be able to take it to his household? Let's go back to the point that he was bringing the ark of God into the moment. The ark of God had been lost. They had had the ark stolen way back um, when Eli was the priest and Samuel, who anointed David, was just a child. And so the... Israelites had gone into war. They weren't supposed to go into war, but they thought, well, if we bring the presence of God with us, we'll just take this ark. If you're new to church, there was a box. And the box, God told them exactly how to build it. And there were items in the box. And the box was always placed inside the tent in the holiest of places 
because it represented to them the presence of God. And so when God would tell them to go somewhere because he had told them, they wanted everybody around to know they were coming in the name of the Lord, they would carry what was representative of the presence of God with them. And so they would carry the ark of God. Well, they, they wanted to fight a battle and win, but he didn't tell them to go fight, but they thought, well, it doesn't matter. We'll just take the ark with us because the ark has all the power. No, God has all the power. The ark was just something that gave them understanding of God's power. Well, they took the box, the ark, into battle. They got beaten by the Philistines, and then the Philistines stole the ark. They kept the ark. And when they would take the ark and they would put it in their own temples, the Philistines did, uh, like bad things would happen in the temple. And then they'd move it to like the city and then people would get boils. It was a bad deal. If you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, this is where they get some of the ideas from. Some of you 80s kids, you remember, they opened it up and everybody, okay, I'm the only one, whatever. No, for real, who has seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Like, give me a break, y'all, are you for real? Like the whole room, and it didn't matter to you that they opened it up and everybody died. People's flesh gets eaten off their face. You're like, whatever. Anyhow, they had boils and bad things happen, so they decide, uh, we don't want this box in our nation. And so this is what they did. We'll go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 6 and in verse 10. It said that they took two milk cows and yoked them to a cart and they put the ark of the Lord on the cart. And then they let the cows take the ark on a cart out of their nation into the nation of Israel and they just leave it there because they don't want it. And then the ark gets taken into the house of Abinadab. So now the ark is just there. And it's there for decades. And now David has decided that he wants to bring the ark of the Lord from Abinadab's house and bring it into the city. This is a big deal. So they go to retrieve the ark and they said, well, it's sitting on a cart, it's on wheels, but it's old and the wheels are dilapidated. Here, we're going to build a new cart and bring the ark into the city. And so this is exactly what happens. Now we're in 2 Samuel. That was 1 Samuel when it got stolen. Now we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1. It said that again David gathered all the chosen men of Israel and they put the ark of God on a new cart. They then wheel the ark. The animal stumbles who's pulling the ark. It almost falls off. And a man puts his hand out to steady the ark. And when he touches the ark, he dies immediately. And everybody freaks out, which is reasonable. He died. We don't all want to die. Nobody wants boils. Now what? So then they, they just take a break. And they leave the ark where it was at the house of Obed-Edom's. Now, he just has the ark at his house. It was just chance that the animal stumbled and the guy touched it and died. 
And so he has it in his house now. And it said the blessing of the Lord was on his house because the presence of God was there. There remains a blessing that is on you when his presence is in your house. This isn't just happy talk. This isn't just us walking through history to give you something to do for 45 minutes on Sunday. This is a something from the gospel that creates a desire in us to see the blessing of God in our home. And the key, the process, the way to get there is his presence. So because the presence was there, the blessing was there. But here's what happened. And this is where I want us to really, we have to pay attention to this. Why did they put the ark on a new cart? Because that's what the Philistines did. They moved the ark on a cart. That was the story. They said, hey, Abinadab's family, how did this show up in your house? They said, that group of guys showed up one day. It was on a cart. We just left it here. We haven't messed with it since. They brought it in on a cart. They brought it in on a cart. Well, then we need a new cart because this one won't roll. Then we need a new cart. So they made a new cart. When we get our spiritual cues from the world, we will fail. It's debate season. I love debate season. You have no idea the joy that I gain from debate season. Like the fact that it always coincides every four years with football season starting, like this is, I'm pretty sure I'm living in the Garden of Eden right now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But here's the thing that bothers me about political debate, is when politicians go outside of governance and economics and they start talking morality. Because morality is not found in a government document. We can take morality and put it in a government document, but the government document is not the beginning of morality. So a politician or an attorney or a judge can argue about governance and models, and that's their lane and their world, and I, I, I really enjoy the conversation. But we needn't debate morality from a government profile. Morality has been determined within the Word of God. And when morality is argued from the Word of God and understood from the Word of God, here's the thing, we win. We win. Because if morality is just argued in the government circle, then what happens is just somebody that has a better argument, meaning a more articulate argument, they seem to be the one that makes the better point. But if the point is wrong, it doesn't matter how well you say it, what is wrong is still wrong. And this is what we deal with in our world today. I would like to just make a, they were, they were talking about cows and carts. So could I just talk about cows for a minute? Cows, they leave, um, like in the field, they leave, you know, fertilizer. Thank you. And, and nature cures the fertilizer. And it, it could have an attractive appearance. Like if you're just talking about, you know, here's a cake. And here's a cake. Ex this is going to go somewhere, I promise. 
I could stand behind this, make sure you remember which cake is where. This is the cake that came from the cow on this side. This is the cake that came from the oven, this side. Okay, I could stand behind this and say, this is for you. It is organic, it is healthy, it is full of calcium and zinc and manganese and magnesium, and I could use all the words and I would be saying, that's true. And then I could take it a step further and say, now, now I don't eat this, but I'm here for your right to eat this. And I believe you should eat this. I think this is okay for you. And I think we should build laws that call you to eat this and allow you to enjoy. And I could make a great case for this cake. And some good old boy over here could say, I ain't know anything what he's talking about over there. But this, this is the cake for you right here. I'm going to just say this is for you. This person might have used better words. But here's the bottom line. Truth is not held by a bad argument or a good argument. Truth stands on its own. And when we understand that then we only look to the gospel for the truth. And we stand on the truth because it's the gospel. Because at the end of the day, that isn't true because he said it. That is true because the gospel said it. And that is still what it is. <laughs> because that's what it's always been. And when we understand this, we won't get all caught up in the political debate to determine for us as followers of God what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. For the gospel has declared it, therefore upon the word of God I will stand and God will cause me to succeed. Period. And so what happened was David said, how did they move the ark? And they said, oh, they did it on a cart. And he said, okay, well, we need a cart. But they didn't need a cart. David went to the world to figure out how to do something that God wanted him to do. When we go to the world to figure out how to raise our kids, when we go to the world to figure out how we're supposed to live in harmony with our spouse, when we go to the world to figure out how are we supposed to live our lifestyle, when we get all of our cues from culture, we will live incorrectly every single time. And don't expect an incorrect lifestyle to lead to something good. I don't care how you can say, I love Jesus, all you want to say it. But if your lifestyle is a wreck because it's based on culture, not on the gospel. That lifestyle is just a pile. It's just one of the, it's just this. And that lifestyle will lead you to destruction. But when I stand on the word, the word will lead me to life. So here's what David did. Now, because this ended in death, he said, okay, well, how am I supposed to do this? He had to go back to the word. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 14 says, you shall put the poles into the four rings on the side of the ark to carry the ark 
of the Lord. The anointing of God was never made to be put on a cart and rolled, but it was made to be carried. And we see it all the way back in the old covenant when he talked about the commandments and he said, don't you carry my name in vain. That means as you carry the anointing, there's a message of the gospel that has to come from you. As you carry the anointing, there is a healing that needs to be in your words. There is a peace that needs to flow from you. If you're going to walk in a house and you need to give it peace, you got to have peace inside. And when they carried the ark correctly, there was life all the way from Obed-Edom's house all the way to Jerusalem. And as they carried that presence of God into the city, there was an overwhelming, like David, every step was trepidatious. It was, am I, is this, is this right? Am I doing the right thing? It's working. They would walk a little, they would stop, they would sacrifice. They'd walk a little, they'd stop, they'd sacrifice. But now they finally made it to the city. And when you get to the reward, when you get to the place where God has called you to be, I pray to God that this preacher has encouraged you enough enough that you will have nothing left in your body but a praise but a willingness to leap in the presence of God and say I thank you Jesus because that's all David had when the anointing came into the city there was a leaping there was a dancing and he didn't care who was watching and he didn't care who was listening so we have this opportunity in every single one of us because here's the last point I want to make where was the glory of God there was no fire that came down from heaven there was no cloud that kept them from standing but I love this because the glory of God was in their praise And the glory of God is in your praise. And when you, every Sunday, step into the house of God, there is a fire, as it were, that should be shut up in your bones. And to to hold it in, you cannot. You cannot. And there is nothing left but to open your mouth and to lift your hands and to move your feet and everything that is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. It is the hope of glory that is in you. And from that fire, from that hope, when you open your mouth and you release that into this place, here's what I know. The absolute glory of God will fill this house. And when the glory of God fills this house, there is everything in here that you need. You came in here. You were lacking something, but you had the glory. And when you release the glory, and you release the glory, and you release the glory, and you release the glory, there is a healing. There is a peace. There is a blessing that comes upon you and then you take all that you get and bring it into your house so that you, you can bless your house because when you walked in, the presence of God just came through the door.